My name is Benedict. Welcome to the next episode of Maastricht Law Talk, a special episode today on the topic of Brexit. Every year in Ontario, thousands of people are seriously injured in car or slip and fall accidents. Recovery can be overwhelming and for many, a financial nightmare. Sir, drop your weapon, put your hands on your head and get down on the ground. You are going to be placed under arrest. We can help them get the financial compensation they deserve. That preventing a breach of the peace is a legitimate state interest. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you. I'm back here today with Al Wilhelm Herringer, professor for comparative constitutional law at Maastricht University. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks again nice for be being here. here. Um, after having a very lovely talk about uh, constitutions last time, we will talk about a topic that we uh, mentioned probably for a minute or two, um, but which is definitely more in the news at the moment, which is Brexit. Yes, definitely. And now it's getting closer and closer, it seems. <laughs> we had some constitutional hurdles in the UK, but now it seems that... Theresa May is almost ready to send the notification letter to Brussels sometime, what, in six days from now? I think back in the day when we had the talk, um, it was already in the Supreme Court, I think, or it was about to go to the Supreme Court. Um, can you maybe just summarize what the case in general was about? So what was the issue there? Well, the issue was that uh, uh, British citizens claimed that the British government could not, without authorization of Parliament, send this Article 15 notification to Brussels. Uh, and the idea was uh, that the, the referendum that took place on June 23rd, 2016, was a consultative referendum only. Mm -hmm. And that therefore, uh, sending this notification to, to, to Brussels and uh, uh, aiming for a Brexit changed the law to, of the United Kingdom to such an extent that proper uh, parliamentary authorization was considered to be necessary. That is basically what the case was about. What the court then also ruled. And the court, in two instances, huh, the high court first, mm -hmm. and then later the Supreme Court uh, ruled in both instances that yes, indeed, uh, uh, an act of parliament was necessary to authorize the government to send in this notification. Um, there have been many protests in the UK, especially after the High Court judgment, that many people said they, they are traitors. Huh? The, the judges, they act against the, 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 the will of the people in the United <laughs> Kingdom. And they betray this 52% uh, of the British people that have said uh, uh, leave. Uh, but I, I, my take of the decision is more of the High Court and the Supreme Court that both courts underscored the necessity of democracy. Mm -hmm. And democracy is that the UK parliamentary system is a parliamentary system and that uh, the legislature is supposed to take major decisions that that that, that uh, determine the the constitutional system of a country that concern and determine its destiny and of course the argument can be made yeah but we have voted in a referendum but the problem in the united kingdom with this referendum is it was only a consultative referendum Uh, Meaning the, not binding, right? Not binding. Mm -hmm. The statute with which Parliament enabled this referendum to take place only said we're going to have a referendum. But it did not say that the result was going to be binding upon Parliament or upon the government. And then under British constitutional law, it's the statement is Parliament is supreme. 
and it's the sovereignty of parliament and it's not the sovereignty of the people it's the sovereignty of parliament uh, so I think the judgment in that respect made sense and was also a benefit to democracy democracy in this in the parliamentary sense of the in a parliamentary system and the second argument for the two courts was basically that uh, the United Kingdom can only leave the EU in the same way as it entered in 1972 and that was by a statute by the European Communities Act in those days uh, that was the statute that enabled uh, the ratification of the treaty and that enabled uh, EU law to become part of the domestic legal order of the United Kingdom and have supremacy over uh, UK law and so the argument is if you become a member on the base of a statute then undoing this same membership can only be done by uh, by uh, by a statute and the third point is in this case which is also interesting from a constitution perspective that um, leaving the EU affects many citizens mm-hmm not only British citizens, but to a large extent, EU nationals that reside lawfully and legally on British territory for many years. They might have been married, they have a job, they work as self-employed, whatever they do, they are millions. Eh? Mm-hmm. And uh, leaving the EU without any proper arrangement might jeopardize their the rights they have. Or exiting the EU might jeopardize the right of those in the UK that are entitled to EU subsidies, such as agricultural subsidies. Yeah, European citizenship is a very interesting point, but there's no precedent. So there was no state that has yet left the European Union. Um, and That's I right. suppose there is no such provision uh, in the treaties that actually deals with the substantial part of such an exit, isn't it? No, there is no, there are no substantive provisions there's only the procedural the article, huh? Article 50 of the Treaty on European Union, which which states how the procedure has to be set in motion. And that is the one that we always read on the news. Uh, that's right? Article 50. That basically okay. says you have to notify. First, you have to follow proper constitutional procedures in your own country. Mm-hmm. So that's a High Court and Supreme Court judgment. Then you have to notify. Then there is a two-year period in which there will be a negotiation between the EU and the exiting country, the the UK, and the EU acts as 27 member states, not 28, but 27, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, with the the UK. If there is no agreement after two years, then two things may happen. There may be an extension, eh? or the the exit is an exit without a proper arrangement. That's the so-called hard Brexit, I suppose? Or could the hard Brexit also happen with an arrangement? No, the hard Brexit... <laughs> the hard Brexit... Let me, let me just f- finish yes, this. Yes, of so, course, yeah. Uh, what what the, the negotiations do is a divorce arrangement. What do we do with the kids? What do we do with the money? <laughs> huh? Because there are EU subsidies that go into the UK. There is uh, 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 services of the EA, uh, EU are in London, for example. The the what is it? The the EMA had uh, a medicine agency, mm-hmm. so it has to be taken care of. All those issues. If there is no agreement on those issues then either both parties agree to extend negotiations and then the exit will be postponed for the period as to be determined or there will be an exit and then yes, that exit will be a hard exit Mm -hmm. because at that point of time it will all be cut off and there is no new arrangement for the future. But even with uh, successful negotiations, there can also be a hard Brexit. 
For instance, if the negotiations simply lead to settling all financial issues, and after two years, there is no further arrangement for what to do with trade and free services and free movement of people. So basically meaning there is no free trade relationship between the UK and the EU. That's also a hard Brexit. So you can have a hard Brexit with a negotiation and without. Okay. And that would also probably include um, what we saw in the news uh, several days ago, that the uh, UK will owe the European Union a lot of money after this. Yes, that is... I mean, that's part of the negotiations. Claims that the EU, the UK is entitled to certain subsidies but or has received certain subsidies and that certain uh, parts or pension rights simply have to be repaid. But this is now part of the take... And the two parties, the two sides <laughs> taking up their positions of negotiations. Mm -hmm. And everybody wants to have the strongest position. So you're not going to claim a compromise right now. What what is now happening is Theresa May claims a hard Brexit. If you don't meet us halfway, then we will simply have a hard Brexit. Yeah. What else can she say? She can't give away and uh, her position right now and 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 show to the EU side that she's willing totally to compromise on many issues. First of all, her population would not understand, her party would not like it, and it's not a good bargaining position. And the EU is doing the same thing. Barnier, the, the, the EU negotiator, claimed we need this amount of money. This is what has to happen. There has to have be uh, freedom of services and freedom of uh, movement of people. You can't have one thing without the other. You can't be a, uh, only have the advantages and do not and, uh, and do not accept the the downsides. So both parties are taking up their positions for the negotiations. And I guess then we just have to see what happens after the 29th of this month. What the negotiations will um, bring us. Yeah. But very important in the whole um, spectrum is also what is happening in the UK um, as a country itself at the moment. We have Scotland, we have um, Wales and Northern Ireland yeah. that uh, might, especially Scotland, do not feel um, yeah, very connected to a possible Brexit. No, that's true. And that was already part of the of an, of an earlier uh, referendum in Scotland on independence and during the campaign for the... the, the The EU campaign for the the Brexit referendum, Scotland has always said and claimed it want to be part, it want to remain a part of the of the EU, and voters in Scotland have overwhelmingly vote voted against a Brexit. Mm -hmm. So a Brexit with the other Scottish issues, huh? the, the the Scottish sentiments, the idea that the uh, the Scottish do not feel represented in the House of Commons in the UK Parliament because. They overwhelmingly voted for the Scottish National Party, and they only have a few seats in the in the House of Commons. They do not sit in the government, so the Scottish people feel, in that respect, left out, ignored, neglected, which is partially true for political reasons because the SNP more resembles Labour than it does Conservatives. Yeah. So that, of course, is a, is a, is a, a problematic issue. On the other hand, financially, Scotland also because of the dip in the oil prices. Scotland benefits from the union with the UK. It gets, as I read in many, many pieces, an overwhelmingly larger share of finances than it is entitled to if it were uh, have be um, uh, allotted financial shares according to its population size. 
So it's it's a complicated issue also for Nicola Sturgeon. But what she's doing now is taking up her position, yeah. uh, weakening Theresa May and saying, well, if you ever go for a Brexit, we don't want it. We go for a referendum, which Theresa May has to reject right now. But, but what could this mean for the future? Um, we, we were talking about a possible independence of Scotland. Um, what uh, the SNP wanted for a long time was just uh, more rights for the Scottish Parliament yeah. and government. But several days ago, uh, the former Prime Minister Gordon Brown um, brought up the idea of a federal United Kingdom. Um, but when I think about a federal United Kingdom... That might as well be basically the same we have now, because the state doesn't have the states do not necessarily have to have more rights than the devolved nations at the moment. Yeah. Yes, but constitutionally, technically, uh, the UK is even though it's called UK, yeah, United Kingdom, it is not like the United States. It's not a federal state. <laughs> so even though it has four sub entities: Northern Ireland, Wales, England, and Scotland, it is not a federal state. Yeah. Even though one might be inclined to think so, if you watch uh, soccer or rugby, then you have a Scottish team, a Welsh team, a Northern <laughs> Irish team, and an English team. And the same for you for European and World Championships in, in football. So it looks, it has the features of federalism, but constitutionally, it is a, a decentralized state. Mm -hmm. um, main feature of federalism being that um, the sub entities are constitutionally protected in their in their own powers like yeah. in the EU where the member states are protected the EU cannot simply without permission of the member states have more powers transferred from the member states to the EU and in the UK who has the final say over the powers to be devolved to Scotland or to be taken back from Scotland or Northern Ireland or Wales that is the UK Parliament it's the House of Commons and the Scottish may resent it, may reject it, but they cannot stop it. So that does not make it a federation presently. Let's assume that they will change the system into a federation as a solution. Then they have to change the constitution and all the rest, evidently, which is also a big issue. Yeah. Because federations usually also have constitutional courts eh, to test the legality of statutes in order to protect the sub-entities. But let's, let's assume they do. Then next question is, will the EU accept a, a, a sub-entity from a federal state as an independent partner in the EU? If they would, I think it's presently not possible because a sub-entity of a federal state is not a legal entity under international law. So how can a non-legal entity under international law accede to a treaty, which is an international treaty? So that would be the, <laughs> the first problem. The second problem would be a political issue. Uh, if the EU were to allow that, then what might be the next? That Catalonia from Spain might claim the same thing or that the northern part of Italy might claim the same yeah. or that Bavaria in Germany might say, well, that is nice. We like <laughs> to have not. the same. So that is complicated. I don't yeah. think it's it, that's a feasible option. Yeah. So it's it's either full independence or more or less full independence for Scotland, and then they have to apply for accession. They're not necessarily accepted. They have to go through the Copenhagen accession process. I mean, especially because of the Spanish government that you just mentioned. Um, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> no, no. The, the, those those sentiments have been made clear in the past already. Um, that a Scottish independence will be difficult to accept for um, for Cat for Spain, 
because if they would support Scotland in that endeavor, then other states might support Catalonia in the same endeavor. So that is a very difficult avenue to to, and I think that the EU would simply leave it to the UK. Solve your own problems. If yeah. you cannot solve your own problems, why should we do it for you? But then we not, uh, naturally also have to see whether the Scottish government really only wants the independence for the European Union membership. Um, there's also alternatives, the European Economic Area, um, that is bound to it. But there are member states in that area that are non-EU member states. Yeah, and. What I what I would think, especially now for the upcoming negotiations, that the side of the UK government is um, jeopardized by this whole discussion because they can't promise a unitary UK after the negotiations. Well, that depends. Um, in order for a referendum on on independence to take place, the Scot the, the UK Parliament government have to give their permission to have this this referendum and to give effect to the results of the referendum. Yeah. In the end, it's a statute. A statute has to allow Scotland to cede from the United Kingdom. So in the end, Theresa May can promise it's either the whole United Kingdom or nothing. Because unless there will be a revolution in Scotland. But if everything <laughs> is within the rules of rule of yes, law of course, and peacefully, yeah. uh, and no riots and, and accepted by the people, then yes, of course she can promise. If the if the parliament in the end uh, supports Theresa May in the Brexit and it will approve the package in two years' time and uh, they will go through with it, then yes, Scotland will also have to follow suit. Either they break away in a, in a, in a session movement, so in a civil war, Uh, or they go along. Or the UK government will simply allow Scotland to become independent. I don't think that's very likely, but let's assume they do. And then Scotland not automatically stays within the EU because first the United Kingdom leaves and then the Scotland will have to apply for membership. And yeah. then it has to go through the whole procedure. This was a brief update uh, regarding the Brexit. I've talked with Alt Wilhelm. He recently started the Lawblogs Maastricht, uh, a new blog website that uh, you can find in the description of this podcast or just by Google search. Can you maybe just summarize in one, two sentences what is this blog about so that people um, can maybe even further read on the Brexit topic? Yeah, well, just go to lawblog.maastrichtuniversity.nl, mm -hmm. Lawblogs Maastricht, where we have short pieces on current events on on our research but written in such a way that's accessible for readers uh, and they get a, a picture of what research we do and they get legal comments on on current events Al Willem, thank you very much well thank you so much my pleasure